Well, good morning. How are we doing? Happy Father's Day. So I just want to share again. There he is. (laughs) Yay, Dad. I I think when Pastor Robert did the teaching schedule, I don't think either one of us thought that this would be our first Father's Day without our fathers. Kind of a tender morning for for many of us, I know. (laughs) But uh, good morning. It's a blessing to to think of our fathers and whether they're whether or not they're with us or they've moved on to be with the father it's just a it's a good day let's pray lord i i, I thank you so much god for father <laughs> i thank you so much for my father and i thank you that you define yourself you describe yourself as the father the heavenly father the father of lights, the father of nations, the father of our very lives. What, a, what an awesome thing it is that the creator of the universe desires us so much, loves us so much that he would be our father, God, and all of what that word means. We just celebrate that this morning, and we thank you for your love in your son's name. Amen. All right, so this morning, the, the title of the message this morning is Father's Day Homecoming, and it, and the reason I kind of went to homecoming is when I, when I think about my dad, I, I think about homecoming. Homecoming home is a word that's almost as, power as powerful as father, isn't it? And coming home, that idea, that feeling of coming home. I, I know as a kid growing up, one of the things I, I really love about my dad is he just so provided for us as a family, you know. And he, you know, he grew up in the generation that was less talk and more work, right? He was, he was a hard worker, didn't talk a lot, but he worked hard. And he was also extremely unconventional. He, he always had these ways of improvising life in really unconventional ways. And, and it would show up sometimes in funny ways and sometimes embarrassing ways and sometimes both. I can think of one, I'll share one story briefly. I might actually share a couple stories and thanks for just indulging me. It's just one of those days, but we, uh, when I was in, you know, late elementary school, I think I was in some kind of scouting troop. I don't remember if it was Boy Scouts or Weeblos or something. Anyway, we had a kite day. The idea was to make your own kite, you know, and kind of turn it into a scouting merit badge kind of thing, make a kite, and show up and just spend the day out in the park flying kites. Well, and of course, all the dads are going to help their kids make kites. My dad, it's not, you know, you get some sticks and some paper and you make a triangle, you know, kite and put a tail on it and that's your kite or even a bat kite. My dad comes from work, of course, he's always at work, but he comes from work. I'm like, you know, it's day of, you know, where's dad? What's going on? And he shows up in a panel truck from work, you know, a bobtail panel truck from work. I'm like, why's he got a big truck to go on to kite day? Well, inside this truck, he has these poles, <laughs> you know, these 15-foot poles and yards and yards of thin mylar plasticky wrap sheeting. I'm like, oh man, what does what dad, <laughs> what does he have in mind for kite day? And sure enough, we get to the park and he gets out all this gear and you can tell, all, you know, all the dads and kids are like, they're putting together their little kites and we're like unloading this truck with poles and, and yards of sheeting and, and sure enough, he we construct this kite that looks more like a hang glider than a kite. Okay? It's this huge, ginormous, 
giant thing, and it literally looks like a, like a, you know, the 1970s hang gliders that were those big triangles, you know, that people would kill themselves on. It looked just like that. And then he tied these guy wires to it and had like me and my brother and a couple other scouts. It took like five of us to try to get this thing airborne. And we're all running down this hill with these, these wires. And this thing is like, you know, the Empire Death Star going down through the park and all, and these little, little kites imploding, imploding on, the, on the side of this mammoth kite. But that was my dad. That, he was just unconventional. You know, it was like, go big or go home. You know, that's just kind of how he was. And the thing about my dad is I just always felt really, really safe at home because he would always figure out a way. He, would, he, always, he worked hard. He would always provide for us. And whatever happened, whatever crisis, whatever life would deal with us, he would just find a way through. Nicole put up this picture, this Norman Rockwell picture. And I, I love Norman Rockwell, even though, you know, a lot of artist types like me kind of look down at him as sort of a little bit too corny and too, too Anglo and Yankee washbush kind of illustrator. But I think when you look past that, there's things about his paintings that I think are just genius. And he just had such insight into human character. But this image that's on the screen right now is, I think the title of this image is Homecoming. And of course, this, you know, the, the young soldiers come home from the wars. And what's interesting to me, one of the things that's really profound about this image is it's not a luxury home, right? It's kind of a tenement building, kind of a row house tenement building, and probably in an urban, clearly in an urban setting. So it's not a wealthy home. And yet you can tell there's just all kinds of love exploding out of this house as, he's, as he walks up toward the front patio. Mom is big and expressive, and they're on the porch. And then, of course, Dad, and this is... So my dad. Dad's up on the roof fixing the roof. That would be my dad. If I was coming home, my dad would be on the roof fixing the roof or mounting some 50-foot aerial system on the roof so he could talk to some guy in Australia, you know, which he would do. There would be like he'd pick up Skip in the atmosphere and he'd be talking to some guy in Australia in, in his little radio shack. He was like the original radio shack guy. But I just, he just always provided a home that was safe, that you always felt taken care of no matter what was going on in this life. And, and not only as a kid going home, but even as an adult and later in life, he had a way of reminding me that, hey, home is still there, that home is still available to you. And he would bring home to you. I, I um, you know, one t- point, uh, Don and I were running an illustration business. I was illustrating, doing portrait illustrations, and that kind of ran its course, and we, we got a little too thin on money and we needed to close up that business. So I'm like, well, I, you know, I need some cash flow. I need to get, get something going right away. I've got a young son and a wife and, you know, I need something to do, do something. So always as a last resort, I would call my dad and say, well, what do you think? And in that case, he, he said, well, you know, I have a truck that's leased out to a guy who's like three or four months behind on payments and he's just not working it and it's a bad situation. Why don't I get this truck, and I'll go back on the road with you. At this point, he had himself real situated really well. He had all these drivers running a truck back and forth to the Midwest, and he had this other truck that this guy was supposed to be running, moving households, and, and, he, and he said, well, I'll, I'll go back on the road with you, which was like a huge sacrifice on his part, and we'll get this truck going, and we'll, and we'll do some moving van business until you kind of get your feet back on the ground. And sure enough, we did that, and... and 
shortly into that, I still remember this. Keep in mind, my dad at this point is 65, 66, somewhere in that neighborhood. And we are moving households in a moving van truck. And I clearly remember we had this one family that is an Air Force family moving from Huma, Arizona, middle of summer. It was about 150 you know, gazillion degrees, whatever the temperature was. This is, I'm like, okay, this is hell. I don't know. How to, this, this is the lake of fire on earth right here in Yuma, Arizona. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody if you're from Yuma, but it's a hot place. So middle of summer, he is past retirement age, and he's with me on this truck moving a family. And at one point, I just stroked out. I just, I was drinking water. I'm a young guy, but I just like, oh, I can't, I'm done. I got, you know, I got to lay down because I'm just, I'm full on into heat stroke. So I just said, I'm going to lay down for a moment with the truck running and the air conditioning running and just kind of recover myself. And I remember laying down on the sleeper in that truck, and all of a sudden I could feel the, the truck shaking and moving. And sure enough, my dad was out there moving this household while I'm stretching you know, in, near a com- you know, comatose and trying to recover myself. And it's like, that's just is typical of my dad's self-sacrificing you know what? You just got to do what you got to do. Dig in and get it done. And I, I take care of my kids. That's just what I do, even if it means going out on the road when, I'm, when I should be enjoying my retirement and moving households. And I just love that about my dad. And, and even in that same season, there was a point where, you know, we had this car that we had band-aided together and we're just barely keeping running. And Donna was having trouble with it. And at this point, I was on the road myself, and my dad had been able to get back home. And so Donna called my dad and said, you know, this, something's going on with the car. And he said, well, do this and do that do that. And she did, and it worked, and it fixed it, no problem. But the thing that I think jumps out to my wife is he told my wife, if you have any more problem, call me, and I'll be right there. And he would be. No matter how far away it was, he would just show up, and he'd figure out a way to loan a car, do whatever it takes. That's just how he was spelled. So I just, I, I appreciate you giving me a moment to share about my dad, and, and, a, and a, hopefully it will reflect on, on, uh, on the Lord in some way as we go through the passage this morning. But um, I just really appreciate fathers and how uniquely they communicate the, the heart of, of our Heavenly Father. So the passage we're going to look at this morning, the context is what's happening is this is just before Jesus is going to be arrested. It's actually the evening that he is arrested, and and he's having these last, sort of last pep talks with his disciples, and he really wants to encourage his disciples because he knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to be persecuted and hung on the cross and be put in the grave, and he knows that this is going to be extremely traumatic for his disciples. I mean, his disciples have just spent three years with the God of heaven who's healing people and restoring people and bringing in this message of hope and fulfillment of the promised Messiah, and everything is good. I mean, they are, they are in, in, in good with Christ, and now all of that is going to be tested, and they're going to go through some really intense shock, and Jesus is preparing them for this. And don't we experience that in life? Isn't life often very shocking and hard and painful and disorienting? And yet God shows up in that. 
So let's look at how Jesus is preparing his disciples for this tough time that they're about to go through. So John chapter 14, starting verse 1, says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So point number one is, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. So whatever you experience in this life, whatever uh, hits you hard in this life, whatever comes in unexpected ways in life, know that you have a Father who is preparing a place for you, a Father that owns much more than a tenement building and is filled with much more love than anything Norman Rockwell could ever capture on his best day. Okay, that's where we're headed. I appreciate our brother Raul was just sharing with me this morning. He was talking about how when he had his heart attack and the first time he woke up in the hospital after the event, he said he just had this little taste. To, and hopefully I don't get this wrong, Raul, but he had this little taste of, of this deep peace and the sense that it was more than just a... a, a a normal peace or just feeling relaxed, but that it had a taste of heaven about it, did it not? And it, almost a sense like he'd almost been there, like he was on the threshold of heaven and just a little taste, and he, and he just shared with me how if that little taste is what heaven's like, I just, I can't wait. I can't wait what the fullness of that would be. Am I, am I, am I hearing you, brother? Yeah. And I, I, I told him, I appreciate you sharing that, Raul. In fact, you're right on message. In fact, if you want to come up and preach, you're welcome to, because that's, that's exactly where the message is this morning. But that's what the Lord has promised us, and it's critical that we take that in, that we don't push that away because it seems too good to be true, I think, oftentimes. But the first thing Jesus does in preparing his disciples for this time where they're going to go through extreme doubt and shock, and, and pain, and, and fear, one of the first things he wa- wants to remind them of is, hey, they are heaven-bound, that there is a home for them that they are headed toward, that they are head- headed home to their father's house, and it has many rooms, meaning there's going to be a whole lot of us folks there, which is a blessing, which is awesome, and it will be filled with love perfected. <laughs> we will be made perfect, and we will love each other perfectly. Won't that be a great place, right? Won't that be an awesome, awesome thing to retire to? Except we won't retire. We'll be very much engaged and active and filled with joy. So that's point number one. He, he has a house with many, many rooms. And not only that, Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare both the way and the destination for us. Think about this. The Father has a house with many rooms, and Jesus is personally decorating your room. (laughs) Jesus is creating the perfect place for you that just has that sense of perfect. Have you ever been to a perfect house that just seems to have all the right things and the right places and the right mix of of stuff that just make a home, just the kind of place you just want to be and you want to hang out? I love the quote from uh, J.R. Tolkien. This is from his trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. Um, It says, uh, 
the quote is, Frodo was now safe in the last homely house east of the sea. I love last homely house east of the seas. Last homely house was Elrond's house, the, one of the great elf kings. And he had this perfect, beautiful house. And Frodo's already gone through these really hair-raising adventures and has come close to death and has had all these traumatic things happen to him. But then they wind up finally getting to Elrond's house. And, and the way, I love the way Tolkien describes this house. He says, that house was, as Bilbo had long ago reported, a perfect house. Whether you like food or sleep or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all, merely to be there was a cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. I can't think of a better description of our heavenly home. I think that just describes our Father's house perfectly. It's the perfect house. Whether you want to eat, whether you want to rest, whether you want to sing, whether you want to have fellowship, whether you just want to sit and think, or you want an amazing mixture of it all, that's the house that we're all headed to. And, and I think Tolkien is, is very purposely describing what that is like in this fictional way. It's interesting that he says the last homely house east of the sea. When I read east of the sea, I read east of Eden, meaning it's the last homely house this side of heaven. It's just a little, what what Tolkien is saying here is this perfect elvish house is actually just a little taste of the house that we ultimately wind up at. And I just, I love the way he describes that house. And I think it gives us a sense, I think, of what it will be like to be in our father's home. Continuing in our verse, and if I go, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may, also, you may be also. So, first, next point, not only is Jesus um, preparing a home for us, he's going to bring us there. He's going to get us there. We'll, so often we've, we've taught um, that it's, it's, we don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? It's that Christ who's going to get us there. It's not our holiness that gets there. It's Christ himself who is not only preparing a place for us, but he's going to deliver us there. He's going to bring us there. Paul says, you know, Jesus will deliver us before his Father, perfect and holy, right? Set apart, like Christ. He will get us there. Continue verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, So Jesus is three things. You all catch that? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way home. Jesus is the true home. Jesus is the life of the home, to put it in that context of of homecoming. So as we go through this life, and it can be really, really tough and really, really shocking, it's really important to know that not only has Jesus prepared a place for us, but that he's going to deliver us there, and that he is the method for, uh, for us to attain it, that he is the way there, And he is the true fullness of what it means to come home 
and that he fills that home with life, life abundantly. He promised an, an, us an abundant life, right? More, so much more abundant than anything this world can constantly is screaming to us that was going to make us feel full and blessed and abundant, right? And what does that look like? Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So what Jesus is saying is, look, I and the Father are so close, we are one and the same, so that if you see me, you know what the Father's like. Okay? And not only that, all the aspects, all the power, all the glory that belongs to the Father is made manifest through me. You know, I am the, condu- I'm, I am the conduit to the ultimate fatherly love. Right? The Father and I are, are, have the same pattern, the same essence. And to know me is to know the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. And how and, and what does that mean? I, I I think about one of the one of the past one of the stories that Jesus tells that I just love and, and many of us have heard the story so often. I'm, I think we we're so familiar with it, I'm not I'm gonna turn there, but the prodigal son, we know that story really well. And what's interesting about the story of the prodigal son is Jesus shares that story in response to the Pharisees coming to him and saying, hey, how come you're letting all these sinners come get close to you? How come you're inviting all these, these you know, sinful people into fellowship with you and, and being close to you? And by the way, these happen to be Hebrew people, right? But they were falling away. They didn't meet the criteria of the religious establishment. They were sinners. And they're challenging Jesus, how come you're letting these people near? And Jesus responds with a story of the prodigal son. And, and what's interesting about that story, you all know it, most of you, just real briefly, the son asks the father for his inheritance. The father is loving and gives the son the inheritance. There's two sons, uh, two brothers. And the one son takes his inheritance and goes off and spends it on sinful living, okay? And then he winds up absolutely poor and bereft and then s- realizes, you know what? I would have been, I, I'd be better, you know, the servants in my own father's house are better off than me. I'll just go back and, and ask my father, just let me be a servant in your own house. Well, and the big moment in the story is this, this son who's betrayed his father and spent all of his inheritance is headed back to the homestead, to the homecoming, and the father is sitting out on the porch. And I love this. While the son was still way off out on the horizon in the distance, the father sees him, and he jumps off the porch and goes running out to the son, and he takes his robe and he puts his robe around the son and he takes his ring, the, the symbol of authority and power, the father's authority and power over the household, and he gives it to the son and puts it on the son's finger. And he says, kill the fatted calf. You know, the son who we lost has come home. Let's celebrate, etc., etc. But then the older brother, 
who stayed home, stayed faithful to his dad, is suddenly jealous and going, well, you know, I've been faithful to you and you've never killed a fatted calf for me, invited my friends to have a party, and this son of yours, well, that, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours went off and spent all of his inheritance and here you are having a big old celebration. What's the point of that story? Remember, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees saying, hey, how come you're letting these sinners come in close? Wait, so who, who are these sinners who Jesus is letting come in close? Well, they're the prodigal son, right? But who's the older brother? The older brother are the Pharisees who are, who are indignant, saying, hey, these people are sinners. They, they betrayed God. Why are you letting them close? And here's the thing. Who's the father in that story? Well, it's, it's Christ, right? Christ is the one who's letting them in close. So Christ... and is closely, very much closely connected to the Father. And to know Christ means knowing the Father. So if there's times when you feel like, you know what, the Father of heaven seems distant and hard to reach and not familiar and not close, remember, if you know Christ, you know the Father. And one of the avenues to knowing the Father is to know Christ. Amen? So I encourage you, know Christ, continue to grow and develop uh, in knowing Jesus, and, and in that way you'll know the Father. How do we know Jesus? Well, first of all, we know him through his work. How do we know the Father? We know the Father through his work. John 14, starting in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So one way to really enjoy the fellowship of of God, one way to really experience the joy of knowing the Father, is to be about his work. You know, what what is the Father into? Well, the Father is very much into people. And he's very much into the way that we treat each other. And he's very much into the way that we reach out to a lost and broken world. So one way to draw closer to him is to engage in his mission, engage in his work, okay? The other thing is to know him through his love and his fellowship, starting at verse um, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another help, helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Anybody feel like an orphan at times in this life? I mean, it's one thing to know that we are heaven bound. It's one thing to know that someday we will be there in the perfect heavenly house It'll, and it will be our home. But what about now? What about the traumas that we go through now? Remember, he's preparing his disciples for the trauma that they're going to experience just in a few hours from this, this discourse. Right? What, how do we deal with the here and now when life is so difficult and so, so uh, challenging? Jesus says, you know what? In the meantime, I know it's meantime, and I will not leave you as orphans. How does he not leave us with orphans? I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, big idea here is his, it, we know the Father through his love and his fellowship. Jesus is saying, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to show up. In fact, for these disciples, he shows up in the flesh, right? After his resurrection, he shows up in this flesh, and they're incredibly encouraged and empowered, and he... And he and then he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which empowers them even more, and they turn the whole world upside down. So it's in knowing his love and his fellowship that we are empowered to go through the challenges that we face in this life. And it's like, well, okay, John, that's cool. How, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, it's interesting. Jesus says, whoever has my, in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he had... It is who loves me. When you see that word commandments, don't go, oh, whoever keeps my list of to-dos, whoever just takes my list of cold tasks and make sure you get all the tasks done and, and be a good person and get it all done right, then you're going to experience my love. That's, that's not the way to understand this. The way I understand this is to understand it from what his commandment is. What is the commandment of Christ? What is the ultimate essential commandment of Christ? is that not to love one another. In fact, in the very next chapter, Jesus is going to say, this is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be what? Full. You want to have, want to have joy in the midst of the pain and joy in the midst of the trial and, and tribulation and challenge and shock and awe of this world and this life? Then love one another. And, you know, I think we all have that tendency when life gets really tough, that we just want to pull back, right? We just want to withdraw, and we just want to say, you know, it's just too big, and it's too much. And by the way, we need rest. Jared gave a whole message on we need rest, and there's times when we, it's good to back away and to withdraw. Jesus said to his disciples, you know what? It's time. We need to, we need to withdraw to a quiet place and just have some downtime and enjoy some close, intimate fellowship and just rest. Of course, 5,000 people followed him, and they didn't quite get the rest that Jesus had in mind, but, but we need to have that rest, but we don't want to live our lives there. We don't want to withdraw to the point where we just disappear and we're not engaged and we're not connected in fellowship because how is our joy going to be made full if we're not connecting with people in a way that challenges us to love them and to walk in that? So a big part of experiencing and knowing the fellowship of the Father through Christ is to walk in his commandment to love one another, to stay engaged in fellowship with one another. Amen? So if you're feeling God is distant and you're feeling like, oh man, I just don't have it, and, you don't, and you're not feeling the empowerment of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you, show up on Sunday, show up at a Bible study, call a, a brother or sister in Christ and share words of mutual encouragement and don't make up a, a lifestyle of withdrawing. There are times to withdraw. There, once a week at least we should have a time of quiet and introspection, right? But don't live there all week long, okay? Verse uh, uh, we're going to go to 22, and the key point here is to know Jesus, to know the Father, is to know that his home is with us. Verse um, 22. 
Whoever does not love my Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, do I remember more than that? No, I'll just end right there. And it, this really goes to what I was sharing earlier about my dad. It's like even when I moved out of his home and I wasn't living with him anymore, there were times when he would just bring home to me, right? He would, I, if I had something I needed help with, he would show up. And when he showed up, it, it was like bringing home with them. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell with you and empower you to know the fellowship of of the Father and I. And lastly is peace, verse 25. Lost my place. 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And, I, and, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk with, with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Exit stage right. Fade to black. On to the next chapter. Right? So Jesus is preparing his disciples. He is on the verge of being arrested. He's on the verge of his disciples being scattered. Scripture says that, that um, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happens. Christ is stricken and his his sheep scatter, and they wind up holed up in a room someplace in fear with the door locked, praying for salvation. And then, of course, the whole, all of what Christ promised in this passage comes to pass, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and they go out and turn the world upside down. And so I think the, the big idea for this morning, uh, the, the idea I wanted to get across is we have a Heavenly Father who has been introduced to us through Christ, who is the image of him, who also has given a way to us to know him, to be intimate with him, and he has given us a way home, that we can be home ultimately and finally and totally and completely. And while we're waiting for that great day, him and the Father come and fellowship with us. Their desire is to be with us, to comfort us, to give us peace, to help us as we go through this life. And the ch one of the challenges for the morning is as you go through trial, don't, don't, hold, don't withdraw. Don't withdraw from fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Don't withdraw from the Lord. Don't withdraw from the Father because he loves you. And nothing you're going through has taken him by surprise. And he uses all things ultimately to his glory and our blessing. He, scripture says, you know what, I'm not giving you a pass on trials and tribulation but instead, I'm using trials and tribulation to grow you up into the fullness of Christ. And that's the kind of father we have. We have a father who's not afraid 
to let us go through tough times so that we could be more like him, more able to understand and connect with the nature of who he is. I often wonder how much the glory of heaven is not just the glory of heaven and how amazing heaven is, but having the capacity to understand it, I think requires this resurrected body that we're going to wind up with. Like we only see, you know, in the light spectrum, if the light spectrum is this wide, we only perceive this much of it, right? And I often think that part of our resurrection will be new capacity to understand love and intimacy and brilliance and glory and power in ways that we just can't even really imagine at this point. So I encourage you, this life can be dark and dreary and sad and broken oftentimes, but we have a Father in heaven who loves us deeply, who gave his only begotten Son that we would have a way home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you love us. We call you Father. I'm always using the term Father when I pray, and so often I, I use that term just, just almost out of habit without really thinking about the fullness of what that word means, God. And, and you are the model of what that means. You are the model of self-sacrifice. You are the model of creative power. Father, you are the model of joy and abundance and blessing. God, that is your intention. That is where you're taking us, Father. Even if in the meantime we suffer, God, shock and brokenness and loss and hurt, Father, but all those you have in hand, God, and in the meantime, you've given us your presence, your fellowship, Lord. And for those of us this morning that just feel like you're distanced, that are wondering where you are, God, that are feeling empty and dried up and broken, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit, even as we take this time of worship, would be speaking deeply into our hearts and, and reassuring us and, and telling us and convincing us Lord, that you are powerful and that you will bring all things to completion. You are the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. Lord, we rest in that reality and that truth. Thank you, Father, for your love. Amen.